Hey everybody, welcome back to Simply Holy, a practical guide for making the holidays holy days. And we are coming in for a close of 2017. It's incredible. It's like four days away for the new year. And um, hopefully we are. I'm going to be doing just a couple more videos and you are going to be writing down all those lessons that you've learned through these 70 days. And please make sure that you do that because you're going to need them later. You're not going to remember them three months from now and you're going to need to pull out your notebook and you're going to need to remind yourself, no, I already learned this lesson. <laughs> or when God brings up the same lesson again in three months and you need to go, wait a second, I learned something about this. You're going to need to go back and look at that. Um, but we're hopefully going to be starting 2018 more pure-hearted um, with less uh, distractions and less sin that, that's been entangling us and we're going to be able to uh, be fit for service in God's kingdom 2018. I'm so excited. I hope that this journey has helped you to walk closer with your God to walk hand in hand. I hope you've gleaned something new for your relationship with God. But today I want to end up, uh, no, I'm not going to end up, but today I'm going to do a, um, a lesson about, just about the spiritual battle. And uh, in years past, I've done a lot more lessons about the spiritual battle. I can't tell you why this year has been a little bit different, but I'm, I'm just going to consider that I should be grateful for that. <laughs> but I want to um, continue on in the nativity story uh, and just talk about this, um, it re it's a reminder that Satan is relentless um, in his pursuit of his goals. And, uh, you know, sometimes we can take such the, the, all the pretty stuff out of the nativity stories. We've got our, our um, you know, our wise men with their, you know, perfect outfits. And then you've got your shepherds and all the sheep and this beautiful manger that was like perfectly, you know, done. Because uh, those are the things we see, the nativity scene. But we have to remember that there was such a satanic assault going on. I mean, the, first of all, the fact that Mary couldn't even have a baby in a, a sort of a quote-unquote safe or sterile or sanitary environment at all. She had absolutely no help. I mean, women, you can relate to this, right? I mean, moms, good grief. Um, that in itself, uh, they had to be traveling during her last um trimester, much less the last few days, uh, and then, you know, here we've got Herod, who is really a traitor of the Jewish people. He was um, Jewish only in lineage. He had no desire to live for God. He lived for power in himself, and he was in the point of power to the point where he um, was able to wreak destruction on uh, countless people. But this was a sa full-on satanic assault. Jesus was born under satanic assault, and it followed him uh, for his entire life. And this is important to us, because once you decide, I'm going to follow Jesus, you have actually moved yourself up to the front line. And uh, that's where Satan is. Satan is fighting back on the front line. We are fighting in, in God's army. We are fighting a daily battle against Satan and all of his schemes. So it's always good to remind ourselves, how do we deal with this? How can we even form battle plans against um, what Satan throws at us, and uh, there's a thousand lessons we could do, and we probably will do, but today I just wanted to focus on a couple things that I was reminded of as I was reading through this story. So if you, if you go to Matthew 2, let me just read it. It says, Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We have seen his star as it arose, and we have come to worship him. 
Herod was deeply disturbed by their question, as was all of Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the le leading priests and teachers of the religious law. Where did the prophet say the Messiah would be born, he asked them. In Bethlehem, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. O Bethlehem of Judah, you are ju not just a lowly village in Judah, for a ruler will come from you, you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod sent a private message to the wise men, asking them to come see him. At this meeting, he learned the exact time when they first saw the star. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I may worship him too. Oh, I just have to stop right here <laughs> just for a second. Just to uh, talk about a couple of things that stuck out to me. First of all, you know, you have this guy who's supposedly the leaders, the leader of the Jewish people. He's supposed to be working on their behalf. And uh, he finds that this prophecy is actually going to be coming true and that the shepherd, quote, the shepherd for my people Israel, straight from the mouth of God, the shepherd for my people Israel, that, that should um, evoke in us a, a, a peace and a calm and an excitement like, oh my gosh, God is going to deliver us. He's going to take care of us. He's the shepherd of our souls. He's the shepherd that we've been waiting for. But not so with Herod because all I could think about was himself. He was just thinking about how is this going to affect me and my power? What is this going to do to me on this planet at this time? This is not my plan. He did not have his mind on the things of God at all. He had his mind on himself, <laughs> uh, which is always the the playground for Satan. But evil things happen there. And it's not just for, um, you know, uh, despotic um, dictators or, or godless leaders, but it's in our daily life too. We take our mind off of God's agenda and we put it onto this planet and what's going on right now and the things that we can see and how is this affecting my life and what do I think? And it reveals something so deep in our character that we don't have in mind the things of God. We have in mind the things of man, as Jesus taught, told Peter when Peter wanted to um, defend him. And we have to always go back to, no, this was all fulfilling a prophecy. This is a God's story. We're fitting ourselves into God's story. It's not about finding yourself. It's not about um, getting, what, what is it that we say these days? Uh, um, I can't, I, I don't know. I guess finding yourself and um, figuring out who you are. It's not about that. It's figuring out who God is. And then you find fulfillment and worth and meaning and significance within his story. See, Herod could have had a very different story here. He could have been a part of the ushering in of the Messiah, but yet he was on Satan's side. Satan is relentless and he'll use anybody that he can in any way and any station of life. And he will always get to you by appealing to your pride and your comfort and what's going on with you in this horizontal life that we can see. And then he does, you know, of course, flat out lies. Uh, you know, he's basically saying, I, you know, come and tell me so, so that I can make a, I may go and worship him too. And, you know, sometimes people are masquerading as spiritual people or as, um, uh, you know, as they have good intentions and sometimes um, the hearts, our hearts can be deceived. But you... Later on, we'll see the fruit of this. And you can always tell. You have to have time to see fruit. You know, how do I know if someone's coming from a pure motive or a, or a, a basically a satanic motive, an evil motive? Um, look for the fruit. You know, and I've, I've just always thought, you've got to follow the fruit. And when the fruit that someone's producing is good fruit, 
that's coming from a good tree. You can trust that. When the fruit that's coming out is divisive and rude and arrogant and disturbing, uh, you can know that there's something wrong with that over there. <laughs> okay. Anyway, it says, After this interview, the wise men went on their way, and once again the star appeared to them, guiding them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over a place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house where the child and his mother Mary were, and they fell down before him and worshipped him. And they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But when it was time to leave, they went home another way, because God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up and flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay here until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to try to kill the child. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and, his, and Mary, his mother, <clears throat> and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he learned that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill the boys in and around Bethlehem, who were two years and under, because the wise men had told him that the star first appeared to them about two years earlier. Herod's brutal actions fulfilled the prophecy of Jeremiah. Quote, a cry of anguish is heard in Ramah, weeping and mourning unrestrained. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. This is no pretty scene. And it just makes me think of how um, completely relentless Satan is. You know, some of you have children right now who are under two years of age. And you, you just have to sit there and picture somebody coming into your home and killing that child right in front of you or taking them and... and killing them outside. Just taking them, that's it. You know, the that is a horrifying thought. And it, it is a good, it, it, in some ways it is a good thought to have. It is a good thing to remember that this, that everything Satan does, he doesn't care. He doesn't care about you and he certainly doesn't care about your kids. They're easy pickings for him. They're all whiny and complaining to them to think about themselves like that. You know, he can pick them off at, as quickly as he wants to. Satan is not interested in anyone's well-being. He may try to fool you. He may think he, he may try to go uh, in a secret way, but he is never interested in your well-being. He, he never has your best interest at heart. And uh, it's ugly. He is it, it, it always turns ugly and I feel like that Satan knows if I want to get people the easiest way to get to them is through their children one way or another so um, but I think these are some of the things that I uh, took away from this and some of the things that have helped me along the way first of all I, I realized that in the midst of all of this God had already planned Jesus's birth and his death It's all planned <laughs> you know Jesus, everything about Jesus' life was already in, in God's hands, and that's how it is with you and me. You know, um, it's God's right to give life and take it. It's never our right to, to, to take matters into our own hands, to take our own life, or to decide who gets to live and die. It is God's right, and God already knows, and in some ways this should bring us a lot of comfort. You know, God put him smack in the middle of this um, treacherous act. I mean, these other boys, they're all being killed. And yet, Jesus was safe because God had already planned what his death was going to be. You know, this can bring us a lot of um, relief. You know, your death has already been planned. 
um, I think we spend way too much time um, worrying about how we're going to die or when it's going to be. It's already done. Every day is a gift. Every day of life, we have to look at the way. It's not cliche. I mean, some people may say it as it's cliche. It's not. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. We're guaranteed nothing. And every single day that we get is a gift. And the end has already been planned. So we can relax. You know, it's funny. I've been watching this show. It's about, um, who, who is it about? It's about um, Alfred the Great in um, when he started unifying England and all this, but um, has a lot of Viking stuff in it and a lot of Viking lore. It has a lot of Viking story in it about um, how uh, they viewed life and actually how they became Christians too, which is kind of interesting. But I think one thing that I, I thought about when I was watching this is that, you know, the Viking way was, um, you know, it, it, it's all fate. It's all in the God's hands. So, you know, you just live, you just, and of course they had a, a pagan way of living, which was, you want it, you take it. You know, you have gold, I want it, I'll take it. If I'm bigger, I'll get it. You know, I mean, they just basically lived for that moment, and if they die, they die. And, uh, you know, of course, it's not the, the godly theology, but I was thinking about how, um, how freeing that mindset is, that my life is in God's hands. He has my whole world in His hand. I, I don't know how long it's going to be. I just have to be happy that my life is in God's hands. And God knows the exact times and places where you, where he decided for you to live. He knows when you're going to die. He knows how it's all going to work out. And it is all going to work out. Because this place here isn't the goal. It is a temporary place. It is a preparation for the real place, for eternity, for heaven. And we have to, all the more, I'm going to keep living for that. And we keep walking closer and closer with God so that as we're getting to the end, we're actually looking forward to it. We're actually getting one day closer to God. You know, sometimes when I go through a hard day or bad day, I think it's one day closer to God. Each day is one day closer. And that's something that's helped me. That, that it's sort of strangely comforting. Um, and, you know, life is, there's the sanctity of life. Life is sacred. It's not for us to um, give or take. Take. It's not for us to decide um, who gets to live and die. But it's also not something to be held on to as if we can. It's really only our minds that are um, doing that, but we, we hold on to it. Um, but here's some things, some strategies. As Satan does, you know, Satan does whatever it takes, right? And um, he will go in as deeply as he needs to go and as fiercely as he needs to go. And I have found some things that have helped me along the way. Now, so I had this, I had this experience last week. I don't know if I'm going to be able to I explain it um, well, but, um, you know, Satan always goes for the deep. He can go for, um, he goes for everything he can, but he, he'll go for that deep wound. It, and he can set up every situation in your life. It's just this big setup so that he can go in for that deep wound. And one of my deep wounds that has lived with me since childhood is that um, uh, I'm on my own. I'm on my own. You have to figure this out for yourself. No one's going to help you. Um, just get to it and go, you know, figure stuff out. Now, you've heard me say this before, and um, it caused so much problem in my life because I was continually um, overstepping my bounds, and, and uh, you know, it, it was a lot of... Um, 
the disrespect that I carry and a lot of disrespect for people, it actually comes off very disrespectful to other people and it is disrespectful, but in my, in my heart, it's really uh, me reacting to a wound. It's me being in defensive mode where it's like, well, no one's gonna help me, I gotta make this happen for myself. And uh, that puts me in a very pushy position, you know, get out of my way, um, a resentful position, no one's helping me anyway, I shouldn't be having, you know, whatever. Now there's a lot of reasons why I have that wound, but that is a very deep wound, and so it will get hit from time to time. Like, see, you are on your own. See, you are, and uh, and it makes me react from a very resentful place. Well, so sometimes Satan can actually get that wound, but he, he's not really. He's using smoke and mirrors. You know, Satan can set things up that are not even really true. He magnifies things, he has a big magnifying glass and he takes one little thing and he magnifies it if it's gonna be this worst thing. Have you ever had that happen where you like, you know, you're dreading something, dreading something and you make it this big deal and you make it a big deal all week and then it happens, some, whatever, it gets resolved or, or whatever comes, comes and you're like, oh, it wasn't that big a deal. <laughs> but Satan was just magnifying it to take away any of my spirituality to shrink me into his, you know, into submission to him. So he'll use a magnifying glass, or he'll use smoke and mirrors. He'll give you this spiritual fog. I know that um, John Eldridge has this great podcast, and Pandora's posted it before, but it's um, called The Fog of War. It's so good. Which talks about this fog that comes over your life, and you can't see clearly, you know. Um, smoke and mirrors to also reflect everything that is wrong. And it's like, you know, when you walk into a, a room that has a, a wall of mirrors, <clears throat> it looks twice as big. As it really is, but he's just using, um, he's using mirrors to magnify something. Um, so sometimes when this wound is hit for me, uh, it's not even really true. But this past week, it actually, in, in, in so it was very true. Um, in that, uh, uh, who the person I thought, oh, I'm going to be able to count on, you know, um, they're not here or whatever. He just sort of pricked that, and. It was interesting because it took me a while to figure out what was going on because I first, you know, dip into resentment and then I'm like, wait a second, no, 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 no. And I try to fight it and try to fight it. Um, so I didn't get to handle it as quickly as I wanted to and I didn't understand what was happening as soon as I wanted to. But this week, as I've been coming out with more clarity, I started realizing, you know, actually it was that same old wound. It was the you're on your own. And what, but the miracle of what happened was is that it was true. And God was enough. God was enough. His grace really was sufficient for me. I got, it was a blessing to go through that because I got to feel that God's power really was enough for me. I, it sometimes, that might be all you have. You know, people helping you, having a, a husband that's helping you or someone that's leading you, um, it, it's a help, but it's not a necessity. It's not a necessity. You have God, and He truly is enough. And the only way that He's gonna be able to teach you that is by putting you in situations where He's all that you have. And I think I've always approached those situations with resentment because I look around and I go, but I should have. My parents should have, my dad should have, my husband should have, my kids should have, my friends should have. And you know, there's going to be many times where friends should have. When Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane, those guys should have stayed awake. <laughs> when he was praying, they should have been there for him. But was that not designed by God 
to bring Jesus to the point where he was all alone. When the soldiers came to take him away, his disciples should have stayed by him, but they didn't. They fled because it was Jesus alone. And you know, God is going to orchestrate these situations in your life where your husband is not who he should be and your kids are not who they should be and your friends are not who they should be because his grace is sufficient for you. God is enough. You know, Paul writes that one, in one of his letters, he talks about how everyone has deserted me, but the Lord has stood by my side. And you know, we need to start thanking God for those times where there's no one else there besides God because there's a lesson in that. I can't tell you what's happened, but I, the freedom to go, if, even if it is just me and God, I'm gonna be okay. I mean, I can't, I don't, I'm not gonna trade that lesson. I like that lesson. That's, a, that's an empowering lesson, but it came through hardship. It came through a, a hurt, a hurt to my heart. And there's no other way for God to teach that, is there? You can let me know if you can think of one. Um, so anyway, I just thought about that, those wounds that he hits, and Satan is always doing everything. And I talk about the three Ds all the time, and these are my three Ds, doubt, discouragement, and depression. And so i just tell you a couple things that helped me. Um, last week, uh, at the end of the week, as I was sort of trying to recover and come out of my like, whoa, what's happening to me? I wrote down um, all the doubts I had, all my depression, and all my discouragement. And, and um, I don't recommend doing this ad nauseum, but um, every once in a while you really do have to do it. But, uh, uh, you know, you have to four-eight it after it's done. But anyway, um, and I just wrote down a bunch of my doubts. And I realized that um, so so many doubts, you, you can't be sure of your doubts. You have to doubt your doubts. <laughs> You have to doubt your doubts. Um, I'm sure someone has said that before me. But you you never know, is this Satan tricking me or is this a for real thing? You know, you, you always have to doubt it and go, this could just be Satan. And um, David Bruce had, had been doing this reading on Lincoln. He loves Lincoln. And he had been uh, reading a book about Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln. And he just shared this one little quote with me and it has stuck with me ever since. Um, he was talking about how as Abe Lincoln was m moving towards uh, trying to figure out what to do about this slavery problem and the disunity in America and just looking at, you know, what could happen here. I mean, this is fraught with, with terror. He said that he kept moving to, he kept thinking whatever, um, he, kept, he kept his mind going towards um, what, what's true and what's right. What's true and what's right. And I don't know if he was really knowing that Philippians 4 8 was really what he was doing, but he, he kept thinking that. And I think that that has been a guiding principle for me, um, is in the midst of doubt, my flashlight is truth. <laughs> I have a, if your fog of war, that doubt, I have to keep that flashlight on that's just like, um, and not expect it to be a floodlight, like everything's gonna be illuminated. It's not gonna be. You just have to go, am I moving towards what's true and what's right. I, I, can, I, will never, I will never go wrong if I'm moving towards what's right, what's right. Now, Satan is going to oppose that. He's going to make it look like, uh, you know, he's going to make you want to give in to your fear. But you, if you keep going, no, I'm going to lean into what's right and what's true, eventually um, 
those things will fall away and you'll realize I came out on the right side. I, I, I think it's also that scripture in um, uh, 1 Peter 3 that says you, you, are her, you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. You can't expect the fear to go away. You have to do what is right in the midst of the fear. So anyway, that's how I um, deal with my doubt. And then um, with discouragement, I was thinking about what is discouragement? You know, uh, Satan is always sending things to discourage you. That means to get rid of your courage. And so he's going to send things that are just going to wear you down. And um, I was... I was writing down just the things that Satan had thrown. And to me, the discouraging things are things that just seem like, it seems like, quote unquote, there's no reason for them. <laughs> you know, like, why does this have to be? You know, why? But um, I was putting down, you know, Jay getting sick, JL's accident, um, the Sunday with the no visitors, uh, the, the, the balls that were dropped, the late, um, we had this late status come up on a, a refi we were trying to get, and it, it stopped our refi. Um, uh, the the car repairs that had to be done, and then going out to get the the stuff, you know, from uh, driving all the way out to Malibu to get something, and then we get, and then Jay got to Pepperdine, and um, which is a while, you know, forty five minutes, and they were on such power outage, and he couldn't even get in. Isn't that hilarious? So, you know, stuff like that that is really not earth shattering. It's not gonna, it's not a tragedy, but it's just discouraging, and so. What I have had to learn to do, and I got this from Gwen Shamblin, I just think she has so many great ideas, but she talks about flipping all situations. You just flip it. And when a discouraging thing happens, you flip it. And you go, this is, I'm so glad this happened. This taught me so much about open-handed living, or this, this, is, this is a great opportunity. And you look for the opportunity within it. And you even acknowledge the training within it. I'm so glad I'm getting a chance to practice this. I'm glad I get a chance to practice whatever it was that I was, um, you know, that God's trying to work on with me. And you just flip every situation into a lesson. When every, when, when discouragement comes, you can flip it into a lesson. And then it gives purpose and meaning to whatever's happening because you can't find the meaning. It's probably Satan just, you know, throwing a ball, throwing a snowball on you. <laughs> but, um, but you can't search for the meaning in the event. You search for the meaning in the lesson. And we have to teach our kids to do this. We flip every situation. Oh, you know, today we didn't get to go outside. It's raining or whatever. We don't get to go outside, but we get to do this. And we always have to flip every situation. So that's how I deal with discouragement. And then I think finally about depression. And uh, depression is, um, you know, for me... A, it's always, always at the door. So I have a door to my depression, and I can open that door, um, or I can keep that door shut. But um, it, it's, it's always beckoning me. But my, whenever I find myself in this depressed state where I'm, I'm getting into my, I'm, I'm on my own. It's usually my depression comes in the form of uh, my, my wounds, my childhood wounds that um, Satan will bring back up. Also, I'll have times in my life, maybe you can relate to this, where I, don't, I will think of things, stupid things that I've done, um, idiot things that I've said, embarrassing moments in my life, and I will remember them. Satan will bring them up. And 
maybe I haven't even thought about them in years. And he'll just bring it up, just bring it up. And I have these times in my life where unexplainably, I will get up in the morning, I will go through the day, and he's just going to start this reciting. I talked about Satan's song. If you go back to um, the Pentecost, we did 50 Days in the Spirit last year, and uh, it's a lot about this concept. But yeah, he, Satan just sings this song. He has this constant refrain about all my failures and all my woes and all the things I've done wrong and all the stupid things I've said, and you probably don't this and you probably don't that, and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, just going on and on and on. And I, it, it, it's an assault, but then I have a weapon that I can use against it. You know, everything about depression is always about here. It's always about what's happening here. Um, and that, that's the horizontal focus, the one that's my husband, my kids, my house, my life, my career, my stuff, my carpet, my whatever. And then, or it's stuff that's happened in the past. So I, first of all, I know, okay, if those things are ruminating in my mind, this is depression. And I have to get my mind off of this and back onto Jesus. Jesus is the only answer. You've heard me say it a thousand times, Corey, Tim, boom, look to the world and be depressed. Look, I mean, look to the world and be distressed. And it, you will be distressed if you look too much at the world. Look within too much and you're going to be depressed. Look to Jesus and be at rest. Or, or, you know, as the old song says, and the things of earth will uh, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim, right? In the light of his glory and grace. I love that song. So you look to Jesus and somehow this, these things go away. And I think that when we get... When you're getting that call, that, that song, that depression song, um, you have to actively take those, it's taking those to capture those thoughts, but you take that um, emotion in and you go, I'm gonna put it up on God now. And then when you're doing that, you need to do that until it lifts. This is where people get stuck, is they'll do that for a while, but they expect it needs to change. It's kind of like how you've you know overeaten for 40 years, but then you you know you've been eating right for four months, and then you're depressed because you haven't lost all your weight. You know, come on, people. You 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 can't de determine how long this is going to be. You know, last week I felt like I am moving through mud, and I was so frustrated by that because it had been so good up <laughs> to that point. I'm like, what? It's ruined, you know. And it was just so hard. Some days are like moving through mud, and it may be more than a day. I had to just decide, I am going to keep putting my focus up, focus up, focus up, focus up, until it lifts, until it goes. And it will lift if you continue to get your focus up. You know, you can't run away from your sadness. I've talked about that many times. You, you carry it with you, but you keep the focus up. Um, I was thinking about the things that I put into practice during this time over the past week. I put out a call for prayer on, um, on the Facebook page. People were praying for me. I got around disciples almost every day. We, I had disciples in my life every single day. Um, I allowed sadness to come with me along the way. Like, no, I have to keep going and I have to keep doing and I have to keep doing what is right. I can't wait till I feel better. And I think that's a huge lesson for us. You cannot wait to do what is right until you feel better. Take sadness with you. <laughs> you need to, I'm looking up at my, my dolls right now because, you know, I have all those dolls. But 
You know, I was, we, we uh, had some friends over the other day, oh, the blacks were over the other day, and they were watching Inside Out, um, and the kids were watching Inside Out, and we walked back in just at the scene where, you know, sadness and joy are not there, and so the control center is being run, the control center of this girl's brain is being run by fear and anger and embarrassment. That's what we call her. We don't call her um, dis disgust. We call her embarrassment. And I was just thinking, these are the three people that should never be in the control center of your brain. <laughs> you cannot allow these guys to run the show. Where is joy and sadness? Because joy and sadness have to come in together. There's a time for that. You bring sadness along with you. You can't wait until you feel better. Um, it is going to feel like, like moving through mud, but you just keep moving. I did a lot of crying. Sometimes you just need to cry. And, you know, it's just, I was reminded of this the other day because I was talking to somebody and I could tell something's really bothering them and, like, they're not doing well. How are you doing? You know, I'm trying to figure out what's going on and then you can start when you're, is it me or, you know. And I just started in the conversation and as they were, let you know, this happened and then they're, you know, talking through the things they're feeling. And then finally just broke down crying and I was like, I knew it. I just need to cry. That's all it is. We just need to cry. Um, not seeking an escape. I did not seek an escape. Um, absolutely no escapes. Um, and I spent my time serving. I kept telling myself over and over, you're dead. Um, you, you know, uh, dead people don't whine. Christ is living in you, but you yourself are dead. Dead to sin. You are a servant. I am the Lord's servant. Um, I had to just, I kept thinking, what am I going to do? today because the depression was so on me and I went um, I'm gonna serve I don't know what else to do because it is strange that this is going on and on I thought this is really strange this is the longest it's ever lasted God get it going but I just kept going it's like well I know what's right is to serve so I'm just gonna keep serving I am the Lord's servant my job here is to serve my family. That's what I do. I get up and I, and I serve. And if I get up and I do what is right and I serve, God is going to do the rest. And um, it really is true that that's how you get through these times. And the, the other side is coming. You can't expect to see the lesson in the midst all the time. You have to be okay with the fact that the lesson is coming and that you just keep serving in the midst of all of it. So anyway, those were my thoughts on... Um, on the spiritual battle this time around and um, I will just end with this that you know it's not lost on me that both the wise men and Joseph were warned in their dreams and I am um, in no way a mystic or um, you know as some sort of dream therapist but I absolutely 100% believe that God speaks to me in the night and actually the psalmist believes that too. You can read the Psalms, uh, talks about God speaking to him through the night. Um, and I, you know, that doesn't always come in the form of a dream and a nightmare and an omen, but there's, it can, it can. Um, there's way too many references in the Bible about God speaking to people through dreams. He spoke to Jacob through his dream. He spoke to Potiphar's wife through a dream. Um, he speaks here to Joseph through a dream, to the wise men through a dream. There are so many references in the Bible. It would be ridiculous to think that he doesn't do that. And I truly 100% believe that he does speak to me. Um, he, he could speak to me through a dream. But honestly, what happens to me is he wakes me up. Wakes me up and I have a thought. It's the most bizarre thing, but I've just learned to go with it. God wakes me up in the night and he gives me an answer. 
I get most of my answers in the middle of my sleep. And it could be um, in the middle or it could be at 4 a.m. could be right at the end and then he wakes me up earlier than I want to wake up, obviously. You know, he appreciates a, a 3.30 or 4 o'clock wake-up call. But he wakes me up early because he has, he's like, you know that thing you've been worried about? I got an answer for you. And he just speaks to me as I'm, as I'm entering uh, into his world. I guess I feel like that's kind of his world. <laughs> so I'm entering into his world and he speaks to me during those times. So don't underestimate that um, in this spiritual battle, you have to absolutely remember you're not on your own. You know, uh, Joseph was, say, I mean, um, uh, Satan was trying to get him, but God came to him in a dream and, the, and, and told him, get up and go, and he got up and he went the next day. And I think you've got to you've got to allow for God to speak to you in those ways. He's He's guiding them. He was guiding the wise men. He'll tell you exactly what to do. He protected Jesus his entire life until he was ready for him to go. God is going to guide you, but you have to enter into His world. And um, don't underestimate that time at night with Him. For me, it's not going to be as I'm going to sleep. Those are usually the bad thoughts. I got <laughs> Don't listen to me. Don't listen to me after 9 p.m. Just nobody should ever listen to me after 9 p.m. But you should start listening around 4 a.m. That's what I'm thinking. So anyway, um, I hope this helps you with the spiritual battle. Until next time.